This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. anybody needs a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, please. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning, continuing our uh, study through 1 Peter, doing our series, Glorious Expectations, because with God, the only expectation that you should really have is a glorious one. Not even a good one. It's, it's glorious. Like God's plan and purpose for you is nothing short of glorious. And the last couple of weeks, last week and this week, we're in a two-part series called Life Expectations. We looked at three things last week, and this week we'll look at three more. The three life expectations that we have this morning are wives, husbands, and relationships. Those are the things we're going to go through in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. By the way, Tommy got a little pink, a little red when Grace said he, he was a good teacher. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we can gather here together as a family, as one people, God, and, and to know the plans and intentions that you have towards us, to know that you treat us as your children, you are a good, good father, and nobody is greater than you. Thank you, God, for that time of worship where we could offer you the fruit of our lips and truly not just singing a song, but expressing in our heart how we really feel about you. God, the time of, of study in your word and the application of your word, we want that to be as a form of worship towards you in obedience. And God, we pray that you would bless the tithes and offerings that are given to you today and that the intentions of our heart would for that to be a form of worship as well. God, give us ears to hear, we pray, what the Spirit has to speak to your church, being built up together, a holy temple. Use us, we pray. Pour your Spirit out into our hearts. Empower us to be your witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Does anybody know what you get when you add dopamine, oxytocin, endorphin, and serotonin? Love. Who said love? Dude, you're smart. Oh, wait, you were in the first service. Love, it's the chemical reaction in your brain when you're in love with somebody, or as a wise old owl once said on Bambi, Twitter-pated. You don't think right. You do things and say things that aren't normal. And, and I think just like we limit what people can do when they're in, under the influence of certain things, I think we should limit what people can do when they're under the influence of love. As you are in love in a relationship, you start to set expectations with that kind of mindset of what marriage is going to be like in the future, but they're unreasonable expectations because you're in love and you're not thinking straight. And then you get married, and, and I've heard it one too many times, all we do is argue, we just don't love each other anymore, or, you know, uh, the kicker, which I, I'm never surprised to hear. We just had different expectations. He doesn't treat me the way that I want to be treated. She doesn't do the things that I want her to do or be the person that I want her to be. A healthy marriage will adjust to unfulfilled expectations because every marriage is going to have unfulfilled expectations. A healthy marriage will adjust to unfulfilled expectations. In fact, all marriages need to adjust to unfulfilled expectations. One thing that the Bible does for us that I appreciate and value greatly is that it, it covers all topics and questions of life. The whole Bible. You got a question about it? The Bible answers it. I guarantee every question because God wants you to have good expectations in him. And marriage is one of those things that is talked about probably more than any other thing. 
From the very beginning to the very end, marriage is the most used illustration to demonstrate the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. Isn't that interesting? Over and over and over, Old Testament and New Testament. Who are you as the church to Jesus? You are the bride of Christ, right? Anticipating the groom, the prince of peace. So does the Bible talk about marriage? You better believe it. Are we willing to receive and hear what it has to say? I sure hope so. Because it's God's word. It's true. And it will give us instructions in righteousness. So here we find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, we mentioned last week, and I don't mind bringing it up again, submissive or submit is a word that we do not like to use very frequently, especially as Americans. We're not submitting to nobody. We're our own people. We have rights. But as we've been going through and seeing, there's some submitting that's required by people who identify as Christians, which means Christ-like, right? Christ-like? Like what Jesus would do, like what we read Jesus did last week in submitting himself to the Father. And those things that we looked at last week, submitting to the governing authorities, Submitting to your boss at work, submitting to those who are in authority over you. And then the example is just like Jesus submitted himself to the Father for you. That's why he did it. He did it for you. It was an obedience to the Father, but the sacrifice of Jesus, his shed blood, death, and resurrection was so that you could have a relationship with God. Jesus' Jesus's submission brought about life. And I will tell you this morning as well that if you follow God's word as, as, as it uh, talks about submission, that you will experience life as well. So yeah, it's tough. But I don't think it's the key word for us this morning if we continue to read. Be submissive to your own husbands. Well, that, that's interesting because a lot of people think that women are supposed to be just submitted to every man. That's it's not the Bible's not male chauvinistic by any means. In fact, we're going to look in depth at some verses in the Old Testament that speak about a godly woman and, and, and how she looks. It says, To whose husband is the wife to submit? Her own husband not to somebody else's husband, not to male authority, to her own husband, that even if some do not obey the word, so an unbelieving husband, they without word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Not even having to say anything, because you know how the old saying goes, you know it, right? Actions speak louder than words. Especially, take note of this if you're taking notes, especially actions speak louder than words in a marriage. Especially in a marriage. You know why? Because that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when sleep deprivation sets in. And, and the battle of the wills is, as it, as, as, is at its fierceness. I drank too much coffee this morning. But I feel good. Just can't talk. Why can't you just put the cap on the toothpaste? It's not difficult. You just took it off. Just put it back on. A submission of the wills to each other. Actions. Wife, you don't have to submit to him in word. And this goes for uh, you know, anybody, really. In Ephesians, Paul talking to the church in Ephesus chapter 5 about marriage, he says, submit one to another. There's a, to be a mutual submission as well, a compassion, an understanding, a love. But here's the key word I want to draw out for you guys this morning, if you're taking notes. I believe that speaking to the wives, this is the key word. Now pay attention. May be won by the conduct of their wives. I've got conduct circled, that action that speaks louder than words because it's by your conduct, whether you're married or unmarried, it's by your conduct that shows people your character 
which shows people who you really are. By my conduct? Yeah, by what you do, because your conduct is an expression, ultimately, of what you believe. You're going to do what you believe, what you say you have faith in. Let's flip with me, if you will, to an exemplary woman in the Old Testament that really, I believe, defines this conduct of a godly woman. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 31. This is a mother speaking to her son, a king which shared these wise words with us, and who better to get instructions about godly women than your mother? Your mother wants the best for you, right? In fact, starting off in chapter 31, verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Then skipping forward to verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. That's a good question. In fact, this question was posed thousands of years ago is just as important today. Who can find a virtuous woman? Do you know how a woman can be noted as virtuous? By what she does. It's by what she does. It's her conduct. She demonstrates these virtues. Her worth is far above rubies. There's nothing materially that a man can possess that's greater in value than his uh, virtuous wife. Can I get a witness? The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of dain gain. The relationship that this man has with his wife so affects him that he, he gets gain from it, from her virtue. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar she also rises while it is yet night, and she provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She puts her hand to the plow. She's a worker. She has spare time, and she's, and she's using it for benefit. She brings her food from afar. She has delicacies. She rises while it's still yet night to get to it. I like this part. She provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. This is a woman who serves those who are supposed to be serving her. That's a virtuous woman. She says, I've hired you to do a job. You are my maidservant, but you know what? I'm going to serve you as well. It sounds familiar. It sounds to me like Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve, even to the point of giving his own life. And I see women exemplifying Jesus in this way of laying down their lives in service to others, and it has impacted me. The women that I have in my life have changed me because of their virtues. I love my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law and my father-in-law, you couldn't ask for better in-laws. A lot of people make jokes about their in-laws. I joke about them for fun, but the reality is, you know, they're amazing people. For many years, uh, my father-in-law, Bill, worked in Southern California, and Ma worked up on the, their ranch in Northern California. And they would talk on the phone all the time because they worked, you know, they worked apart. And Pa would call Ma and say, hey, Ma, what are you doing? What are you up to today? She said, oh, you know, sitting on the couch eating bonbons watching uh, soap operas. It was like the family joke, right? Because everybody knows when you're running a, an active working ranch that Ma's not watching soap operas eating bonbons. She put her hand to the plow. She didn't look back. She's faithful in everything that she does. 
Now she's an elected California official in Northern California, and they couldn't have a better person because she's diligent and she works for the people. God has placed in my life Proverbs 31 women. By their conduct, they show that they are virtuous women. And the glory always goes to God. She serves her servants. She considers a field and buys it from her prophets and she plants a vineyard. She's making some little profit. She's saving it up. And then it says she considers a field and buys it. What does that mean? She considered a field. She didn't just say, which field's available? I'll take any one you got. She says, where's the best location? Where's the best soil? What's the best price I can get? I'm cons- hmm, I want to get the most. I want to be the best steward I can. And she buys it and she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and she strengthens her arms. In the morning, she wakes up and she does curls. Uh, uh, uh. I don't think that's exactly what it means, but she's toned from the work that she puts in. That's for sure. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. I like that too, huh? She's not making junk. She perceives that what I put my hand to has value, has worth. And her lamp does not go out by night. It's an early riser, staying up late, diligent, serving her servants. She stretches out her hand to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She, make linen, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. This is one active lady, right? She's busy. And this is a, a notable verse if you do underlining. I have this one in my Bible underlined. Strength and honor are her clothing. How would you like, lady, for this to be said about you? Strength and honor are your clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. I think that's bonbons. Bonbons are the bread of idleness because they do have like a crisp like, right? I don't know. I haven't had them in a long time, but last soap opera I was watching, probably. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. I love that. Many daughters have done well, but you're better than a thousand daughters. Last night, at Los, or Lake Mead Christian Academy, where our kids go to school, we had the Royal Ball. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to a ball before, but this isn't, you know, it's not a daddy-daughter night. It's not a dance. It's a ball. And Sophia was so excited about the Royal Ball, and they got dressed up in their princess dresses, and I put on my good suit that you'll see at Easter. And we went to this thing, and... And the girls loved it. And I, as a father, for any of you fathers who have daughters, as a father, you know how much you just love your little girls, your little babies. You're going to take care of them forever. You'll do anything for them. And we're sitting at the table, and it's time to dance. They were literally dancing. And I don't dance. But when your daughter looks up to you and says, Daddy, will you dance with me? You better believe that we were doing the mashed potato, we were doing the twist, we were doing the floss, we were doing all, whatever you like, we were doing. And it was a great time. I look at my daughters and I say, I love you precious little babies so much, but your mother exceeds you both. (laughs) They came from their mother. 
They're being trained up in virtuous ways by godly conduct. And I know that my daughters are going to look like my wife in the future. Because godliness is something that is uh, available for those who are submitted to it and seek the Lord. Wives, I know it can be hard. I know husbands can be difficult and they stink. But remember the context of the Proverbs 31 woman that we're talking about. Who is talking here? It's a mother to a son about his future wife. So it not only applies to those who are married, it also applies to those who are single. The things that you cultivate in your life now are going to be what comes out of your life after you get married. If you're cultivating idleness and hypocrisy by doing things that aren't profitable, why do you think that you're going to be able to switch gears and get out of that once you find a man? You have to cultivate those things now so that you can be that virtuous woman. And guess what? If you're a virtuous woman, guess the kind of guys that are going to be noticing you? virtuous men. You're cultivating those things now that you can look back at verse 25 and say, strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time past. There's an investment that's happening to the present that's going to yield a return for sure in the future. Guaranteed. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, there's already one time that we've talked about the gates and if you don't know this, the gates are where all of the business activity of the city happened. It was the place to be. It was the European square of the Middle East. It's where uh, legal things would happen as well. And what was the previous time that we saw something happening at the gates? It was talking about referring to her husband was at the gates, indicating that he was a pillar. He was a part of the community. And she reflected on him in the gate. And he represented her and their family as a part of that community. And not only is he there, but we see, give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her. Her effect is being, uh, her, her actions are affecting the entire community. They're visible. Oh man, that's so-and-so. They did that or they did this. Virtuous woman. We have a few more verses to get through for the wife back in 1 Peter, if you'd flip back there with me. Verse 3, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. See, the Bible never says that women can't look pretty. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God gave us women and blessed men with beautiful women. So it doesn't say you can't put on makeup or do your hair. It says, don't allow that to be the focus for you and not work on anything that's on the inside because it's really what's on the inside that matters. Remember, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they looked top-notch. They were dressed so good. They had the big phylactery so everybody could see them and point them out. But what did Jesus say about them? You guys are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. What's on the inside is what matters and what counts, and, and you're failing in that department. This is the same for women. Ladies, 
Don't focus on adorning yourself outwardly so that you can impress people when, when there's filthiness on the inside. Have you ever met somebody and thought, they're really attractive, but then you get to know them and, and, and you said, they're really ugly. It's true. So what we do is we look at ourselves and say, are we putting as much effort towards what's on the inside than what's on the outside? How long does it take you ladies to get ready in the morning? That's a bad question to ask. I'm really getting myself in trouble. 15 minutes? Yeah, right. Half hour? Hour? (laughs) You said it. Do you spend half of that looking at what's going on on the inside? Because yes, you may look beautiful. Yes, you may dress to impress. But if there's something that's not adjusted on the inside, it's, it's going to come out. It's going to be manifested. He's, he's not saying don't do those things. Yeah, sure. Look pretty. That's great. But make sure that, that rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. You know, God sees right through however you look. You know, he just looks at you and he goes straight to the heart. And, and, and what does God think? Man, She's a beautiful lady or precious in his sight. I like that. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves with godliness. I like Pastor Chuck's response. I don't know if any of you, this is a kind of a famous quote by Pastor Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Somebody in the 70s asked him, is it? biblical for women to wear makeup because you know the church goes through all these crazy trends and and they bring in these laws and legalism like women have to wear long dresses and shawls and they can't you know that's just all kinds of craziness and 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 the holiness of a woman is is how she submits to these laws that are given by man or men or other women it's just so sad. So, so they asked Pastor Chuck, Pastor Chuck, is it, is it okay for women to wear makeup? Should we not wear makeup, etc.? And his response was, hey, if the barn needs painting, paint it. His words, not mine, okay? If you have a barn and the sun, you know, is, is, is wearing the paint down, paint, it, paint the barn if you need to paint it, okay? It's according to need. The holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. There's, a, there's also a sense of, of peace, right? There's, a, there's a, a company by the reverence. There's a peace. And then we have these examples of these women in the Old Testament who... Um, through their submission, were able to demonstrate their faith. And again, I get it. That's probably one of the most difficult words for us to wrap our heads around as Christians. But you don't know my husband, and you don't know what we've gone through. You don't know what he did to me. I get it. I don't know. And I don't know how you feel about that. But listen, God isn't qualifying himself here. He's telling you what you have to do. And he's saying that you're going to have fruit from that by listening to or adhering to God's word is going to be fruitful for you and not just physically fruitful, which there will be some physical fruitfulness, but there's also going to be some kind of spiritual fruitfulness, which is of greater value than anything physical you can ever get. Now, there's going to be spiritual fruitfulness for you. There's going to be spiritual fruitfulness for your husband. And there's going to be, to the extent for your husband, possibly spiritual fruitfulness. (laughs) Maybe I did that on purpose. Maybe I didn't. You don't know, and I'm not going to tell you. There's going to be spiritual fruitfulness that can manifest very possibly in his eternal salvation. Yeah. Yeah. 
By what? By conduct. But how? Submission? Oh, who's the example? Jesus. Jesus saying, God, what do you want me to do? It's you and I saying, men and women, God, what do you want me to do? How can we submit to love, encourage each other? That's what God's heart is, as uncomfortable as it makes us. And the promise connected to it is fruitfulness, goodness. Verse 7 addresses the husband's. It's one verse because, you know, guys, (laughs) Eh, the KISS acronym, I can't say it, but, you know, let's just keep it simple for the guys, right? Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Now, if there's one thing that wives need, I believe it's... (laughs) understanding, you know, the different things that they go through. I can't really comprehend, like I didn't have babies come out of my body and go through different things that my wife went through. So like I try to dwell with her with understanding. I know this time is difficult right now. How can I support you? How can I bless you? How can I love you? Or from my perspective, what am I doing and how am I doing it that affects you negatively? Well, with them with understanding, giving, giving honor to the wife. I think that that's something that we've kind of lost in our day and age as far as you know, even honoring each other, preferring each other, because again, our culture says to us so explicitly that it's all about us. It's me, 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 my, 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 I, 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 you're not meeting my needs. Well, you're not meeting my needs either. Well, maybe I don't want to be with you anymore because it's about me. Well, maybe I don't want to be with you anymore. What is the crumbling of the marriage relationship? It is selfish ambition. It's me saying, my life would look better without you because you are holding me back. When God tells us, your life will look better together because that's how I made you, and you get to learn obedience and submission with each other, which I also exemplified for your good, for my good, for your benefit. Yeah, the process is difficult. The outcome is glorious because we have a glorious God. Therefore, we can have glorious expectations in our marriage relationships, in our interpersonal relationships, in our job relationships. By our conduct. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, this isn't talking about the weaker vessel like as a as a put down or or making fun of. This is this is a, a picture of protection. You know, you have something valuable, you protect it. And he's saying, husbands, value your wives to the degree that you want to protect it. Her. You didn't catch that. That's good. Have something of great value, put it on a high shelf, not on a low shelf where it can be broken. Is it of great value? Put it in a safe. Do you, man, care for your wife to the degree that she is so precious to you that you want to protect and honor her in every way possible? Oh yeah, now it's getting real. Well, she used to have value, but I don't know anymore. Listen. protect her, love her, and as, be, as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. I really love that verse, that part of the verse, and being heirs together of the grace of life. Oh, man, you're alive. You're alive, man. You're alive, lady, husband, wife. You've been given this gift by grace unmerited favor by God, you've been given life and you've been given the blessing of doing life together. Isn't that cool? I would not want to go back to doing life by myself. I'd be in big trouble. 
And I say, God, thank you for the gift of grace, the, the, the grace of life to be together with my wife. And then there's an interesting verse, that your prayers may not be hindered. How might your prayers, man, be hindered? Well, there's things in your life that you're not really willing to address. Maybe some hidden sin that doesn't really hurt anybody or affect anybody. You know, and you can dabble in this and dabble in that and do this and do that. And I still love my wife, but I, you know, and she knows I still love her, but you know. So if that's what's happening, if that's what's going on, you've got a bunch of things going on behind the door over there in the darkness, and then you're sitting at the dinner table with your wife holding hands to pray for your, over your meal for your family, and you say, God, we pray that you bless our family, we pray that, that we would love you, that we would be an example of you, and this is the things that we need, and all those things are over there, and God definitely is hearing you, but he can't commit to working in your life because the sins are going to become manifest. There's no continued repentance that's happening in your life. We just, interestingly enough, are in Joshua chapter 5 and on Wednesday nights. And last Wednesday night, we, we looked at a character called or named Achan. Is anybody familiar with Achan? Achan is part of the group that goes into Jericho after the walls fall down. And he's going through the city and something catches his eye. It's a Babylonian garment of great value. The word of the Lord was, do not touch of the accursed things. But Achan says, that's, that's a nice man dress right there. <laughs> and by it is some gold and silver. If we take the valuation of then and now, we can see that it was about $25,000 worth of gold, silver, and this garment. And he says, oh, got to have me that man dress. So he takes it and he takes the gold and the silver and he goes to his house and in his own tent, in his own home, he buries it in the ground. Then the children of Israel are going against Ai and the guys say, hey, we're strong, we're mighty. We don't need any, you know, great amount of people. Let's just send 3,000, we'll squash them like bugs. 36 men lose their life that day trying to battle against Ai because of one man's sin, Achan. Joshua falls on his face. God, what's happening? You said that you were for us and not against us. And, and, and God says to Joshua, get up off your face. There's sin in the camp that needs to be addressed. And we're going to go through every tribe. We're going to go through every family. We're going to go through every house till we get to the one who it is. And they go through every tribe and then they get to Judah. And they get through every tribe and they get to the family. And they get through every tribe and they get to the house. And they get through every man and they get to Achan. And Achan is standing before Joshua. And Joshua says to him, dude, bro, why don't you just confess? If there's sin in your house, why don't you just spit it out? Because you don't know, you know, basically what's going to happen. But Achan had so concealed his sin, and who knows if his wife knew about it? Who knows if his children knew about it? But, but he hid his sin in their house, buried in the ground, and then finally he says, yeah, it was me. I saw the Babylonian garment, and I saw the gold and silver, and I took it, and I knew that I wasn't supposed to. Do you know that Achan's hidden sin cost him his life? Do you know that Achan's hidden sin cost his family their lives? Do you know that Achan's sin cost 36 men who went to fight a battle who were innocent of anything ungodly that we know of? It cost them their lives and it affected those families and that's to the greater degree that it affected the community. Men, this is a serious message for you because it is serious. Make no mistake, hidden Sin will produce and manifest death. Every single time, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he'll reap corruption. And if he sows to the spirit, he will reap everlasting life. What are we sowing into to get back? Are we sowing into get back death? Or are we sowing into get back life? 
my sin as a husband and a father, covered up, concealed, will eventually, if I don't deal with it and confess my sin, he is faithful to cleanse me of all unrighteousness when we confess our sins to him. That undisclosed secret sin will be manifest and affect my children and affect my marriage and affect my church and my community. It, it will. It scares me. I have no unconfessed sin to the Lord for sure. He knows everything. There is a mega church pastor that still bothers me. One of the top 10 biggest churches in the United States. God was doing a work for sure through that church and people were getting saved. And for whatever reason, he decided that he was going to have an extramarital affair. Broke his marriage. They tried to work it out afterwards, but uh, uh, it, it didn't work and they got divorced. Broke his relationship with his children broke his relationship with the church. And he went from being the founding pastor of that church to being a manager of a nightclub a couple towns over. What a contrast. The, the, the light, let your light so shine before men. And then he's working in the darkness, right? Which really was just showing where his heart really was. It's sad, but it's a lesson for us. So as uncomfortable as it is for the ladies to hear some words from this, I think it's just as bad, just as bad for the men. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 31, Paul goes into a little bit more detail about what the relationship between a man and a woman should look like. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You know what this verse is really talking about was whatever you put into your wife is what you're going to get back. So don't whine and cry about whatever willingness you have to invest in her. She's like a garden. You're going to get that fruit back. Jesus washes his church in the word to present her as what? Beautiful, glorious, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If there's no truer statement in the New Testament about what a, a husband can get from his wife. I learned this early in my marriage that the more that I pour into my wife, the more she pours out into me. So if you love yourself, brother, man, husband, if you love yourself, pour into that lady because you're going to get a return from it. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Moving on to verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted and courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I could, I could take that. Now, who's he talking to? I think this applies to the husbands, it applies to the wives, and it applies to everybody else. The singles, the, the everybody involved. Finally, you guys in your relationships, this is what you, you should look like. Be of one mind. You know, one of the things that I hear so often when it comes to marriage counseling is two people come in and it's, and it's this. One person is doing one thing in life. They're fully invested in it. And the other person's doing another thing. And they say, it's like we're living separate lives because you are living separate lives. A house divided against itself cannot stand. There needs to be unity in the house. We're just never on the same page. You better get on the same page. It's crucial. It's pivotal. Be of one mind, having compassion for one another. And we all go through stuff. You go through stuff? Man, I go through junk every day. 
And my problems can be overwhelming. And then I go home and I'm like, you know, my wife has problems too. And she's like, this is my problems that I have. I said, I have enough of my own problems. Thank you very much. I'm not your, your pastor right now. I'm your husband. You need to attend to my needs. I'm needy. No, we both mutually have compassion on one another by saying, I know you had a hard day. I want to hear about it. Tell me. Let's pray right now. Let's get the perspective. Let's get it together right from the beginning. Let's pray right now. And then you tell me about your day and I'll tell you about my day and we'll cry together. Having compassion on one another. Even those who are single, having compassion on those people around you, understanding, love as brothers, that kind of family love. You know what family love is? Family love is like, I don't like you, but I'm blood related to you, so I guess I love you. Guess what? You are blood related to each other by the blood of Jesus Christ. So have compassion on each other. Love each other like brothers. Be tender-hearted. You know what the opposite of tender-hearted is? Hard-hearted. Be hard-hearted towards each other? No, be, te- be tender-hearted. Be sensitive. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Look at this. Knowing that you were called to this. You were called to be a blessing. Amen? Say, I'm called to be a blessing. You are called to be a blessing. You are called to be a blessing to your husband. You are called to be a blessing to your wife. You are called to be a blessing to your peers. You are called to be a blessing to your friends, to your, the people in church, to the people you work with. God has called you to be a blessing. How does that look and how is that being worked out in your life? Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So if you're a blessing, what does the word tell us? If you're a blessing to those people, you'll inherit a blessing. Instead of reviling for reviling and evil for evil, blessing for blessing and blessings return. He who would love life and seek good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, for the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today, and we pray, God, that we would see what your word has to teach us and that we would be quick to apply it. We'd be quick to look at the inside a little longer than looking at the outside. That we would say, what is being produced through my life? What virtues and what kind of character rather than how put together I I may appear from the outside? We want God to be those people that submit to your word. We want God to hear you teach us so that we can experience and continue to live in abundant life that you intended for us because we have nothing less to expect from you than than glorious things. Glorious things, not even just good Lord, glorious things. So here we are, your church, your children. We love you. We thank you for washing us, presenting us as a glorious church, as a beautiful church by the washing in your word. Be glorified through us, Father, we pray this week in Jesus' name, amen. Church, I just want to give you an opportunity real quick to respond to the moving of the Holy Spirit. If the Lord pricked your heart and and you need to just adjust some things, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to him with an action. You know, every time in the New Testament that Jesus does a miracle, he always requires some kind of action from the other party. Stretch out your hand, pick up your mat and walk. Go to the priest and show him that you're clean. There's an action associated with it. So if you needed to hear his word today about what's going on inside 
and you want to confess that, he already knows. Just give you an opportunity to respond so that I can pray for you. If that's you, stretch out your hand in the air so I can see you and pray for you. Anybody at all? Anybody else? Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters here who in honesty come before you this morning and say that, that uh, they need you. We, we need you, God. We so need you on a daily basis. Through all the things that life gives us, we need you. And we rest our hearts knowing that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name. If there's anybody here who kind of is hearing what I'm saying, but, but you don't really fully understand because you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. You've never said, Jesus, you're my Savior. You've never looked at him as an example of how to live life. And you want to make that confession today. You want to receive Jesus. You want to see the power of, of God in your life from this point on through confession of your sins and receiving of the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. If you've never done that before and you want to do that today, could you raise your hand high in the air so I can see you and pray a prayer with you? Anybody at all? Father, bless your church this week, we pray. And we so love you and are thankful for you and your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen.